welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It's fantastic to see all of your friendly faces. How is your day going? My day, I'm going to be honest, has been pretty damn good. Uh, I've just covered some basics today. This morning, uh, although Frankie was up quite early at about quarter to six, uh, but she came in, we read a book in our bed, and then her and I went and had coffee together. Uh, and then because uh, the ring of steel here in Melbourne has been lifted, she could finally go and see Breddy's parents uh, who live outside of the 25K radius. So they got to see her for the first time in it would be eight or nine months, which was fantastic. And during that time, I got to go for a ride, clear the head, come back and really smash out some work. So that's kind of the perfect day so far. And here I am talking to you guys. So I hope you're having a good day. If you're not, I do highly recommend just trying to get some exercise in and clear your head. It definitely, and we all know this. I know you listening to this, you know that as well. It's just hard to get that motivation just to get out the door, um, especially if you're tired or or stressed out, uh, the thought of actually just getting out the door to do something can sometimes, um, you know, keep you frozen in place, or at least that's how I have felt a lot. Um, even though I know in theory, uh, it, it, exercise definitely helps you, uh, with your, with all of your stresses, uh, throughout, throughout your life. Um, what well, does for me at least anyway. Uh, and I was just on the bike for 75 minutes and I came back just instantly feeling a bit better. And I don't know, I guess but, uh, feeling like I could tackle the world um, or at least the, the load of work and the emails piling up at my desk. Anyway, there you go. Nothing all that insightful to share with you at the beginning of this podcast. Just wanted to share that today, feeling good. And I hope you're feeling good too. Let's get cracking on uh, with my chat with the very lovely, the very wonderful Meredith Hill. Hi, my name is Chantelle and I'm a WitsUp Patreon member because of the awesome content and insight into the athletes and the sport of triathlon. But ultimately, it's supporting women in sport, which is a real passion of mine. You should sign up too and support the amazing work the WitsUp team does Click on the link in the show notes. Meredith Hill, welcome to the Wits Up podcast. Thank you. I haven't had an introduction like that before. Well, I started to feel like a little bit sing-songy um, and then I realised, yeah, but I've got a terrible, terrible voice and I just feel like if I start sing-songy, we're probably going to lose 50% of our audience before you've even started yeah, no. talking. <laughs> it's a bit risky. It is. Are you are you a um, sing in the car, sing in the shower kind of person? Car, yes, absolutely, because it's usually just me. Uh, shower, no, no. I, I think because there's windows to the outside and neighbours, and I just I wouldn't, you know, I still need to be able to ask favours of my neighbours potentially down the track. <laughs> so I'm just not going to jeopardise that. I love that. That's your reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But you know, I've never thought to myself oh I feel like singing in the shower I've just I've never I don't know but it seems like it's you know it's a thing in the movies where they're shampooing their hair or whatever and start yeah. singing I have never had the urge to sing in the shower and that that shampoo ad that decoray ad where everybody is like using their shampoo yep. bottle as their microphone and breaking into song I can't say I've ever had that no me but never never 
Mm. But the car, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a car singer. Um, and also just with Frankie, especially, actually, that's a lie. I constantly sing and hum tunes before Frankie came on the scene, but now it's probably more acceptable because, you know, you've got a child, so you should do it. Um, but yeah, pretty much anywhere where we can just start rocking out to a random dance song in my head, I will start. And I use the term singing very, very loosely. It's more like, <laughs> yeah, it's yelling. Just it's noise making. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, um, you're going to teach but, some pretty bad habits, so this is excellent. <laughs> going to. I, we are well and truly in the bad habit zone. <laughs> Established. <laughs> but but speaking of teaching children bad habits, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's the kind of role that Kulani Mez takes in this world at, currently. A, am I wrong? Oh, Absolutely. That's probably one of my favourite things about being an auntie is being able to hang shit on my brother indirectly through his children. So I think it's like a, like a double stab to the heart when his four-year-old um, gives him grief about stuff that's really coming from me. It's It just gives me such a buzz. <laughs> Do you know, I often forget that I'm not cool – Arnie Steph, that I'm an, an actual mother. She belongs to me and I have responsibilities because I will <laughs> constantly do stupid shit and probably quite similar, do stupid shit to Bretty through Frankie and forget that I, yeah, suffer the consequences too. Yeah, you're just asking for trouble. I'm fortunate at this stage we don't have kids, so there's there's just no backlash from it. It's just it's an open-ended pot of gold. I can just <laughs> keep feeding it through my brother's son because um, he's talking, the the, t- the other one is almost two. So that's to come. Then I'll have two of them um, just to, to hang it on him and no brilliant. repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, now I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh, you should be okay. nervous. Yep. Yeah. It's not really. But there's – I'm really torn because I – my best mate or their family moved up to Queensland nearly two years or two years ago, I think it was now. Yeah, mm. something like that. Yeah. And, and I stole him. You did. I, and I, it's, it's, uh, it hurts a lot. But <laughs> equal parts makes me so happy um, that they're in with a good crowd up there. But it's really like it's really – I get really jealous. But like, it, it is this it's, – it's, it's such a torn feeling because I'm like, damn it, I wish I was up there. But then, you know, it does, it makes my heart sing that, uh, yeah, you guys are all hanging out with each other. Yeah, it is very cool. I think everyone up here um, welcomed Boz or Mike Bosworth with open arms. But even if we weren't ready to welcome him with open arms, he would have just come anyway. I think he's that kind of dude. So he just, he just slotted right in. And I must say I'm good friends with him, but I think there's probably even more of a bromance going on with him and my partner, Tom. Um, they probably see more of each other than I see of Boz because, um, yeah, Boz trains Tom a couple of times a week and they love each other. So it's excellent. It's excellent and ridiculous. And every time he mentions Tom, he feels like he needs to explain who Tom is to me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, yep. I've also met him, but, yep, your new yep. friend Tom. <laughs> and Sam will tell you he's Dr Uncle Tom. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so cute. He gets Did, asked for um, when there's like some book form of bleeding or a runny nose. It's called Doctor Uncle Tom straight away in the Bosworth household. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, 
Um, now, you did mention that uh, you, you don't have any children. However, before we even re- hit record, I did have a quick hello. And I did. Like, we were actually talking and blowing kisses to each other uh, to your four-legged child. Yes. Yeah, who needs uh, real children when you have a furry one? Dogs are the greatest. Yes. Yes, we do love this one. And before um, uh, we set up this episode, I did say to you, I'm pretty sure we'll probably just riff, uh, or in this case, rough on dogs <laughs> and and travelling pretty much. So pretty, that's yeah. just everyone. <laughs> it's like an extra long special podcast episode just because of dogs pretty much. That just extends the length of it. And it, But who doesn't want to listen to stories about dogs? Probably non-dog and you, owners and cat owners. Yeah. They might be a little bit anti, but... Everyone else is fine. But, yeah, ex- well, true. And do you know what? We don't want them listening anyway. I- I'll judge you <laughs> if you don't like dogs. <laughs> um, so Willow was um, – how old's Willow now? Ooh, she's a little over 12 months. I'd say about 14 or 15 months old, we okay. think. She was, she was a rescue, so we're not sure 100%. Oh, how did you rescue her? Like through a um, like the RSPCA or some, something along those lines, or yeah, I, I joined a um, a group on Facebook called Big Paws Dog Rescue. But first, we went to the Noosa RSPCA when we just decided to bite the bullet and go and see if there's anyone there who kind of took our fancy. And we spent like two hours, I think, at the RSPCA. And Tom and I both just couldn't agree on which dog, and neither of us were really completely taken by a dog. And we kind of left and went. Oh, what is it we're looking for? So we went and had a coffee and sat down and wrote a little short list of what we wanted in a dog. And then I, I said to him, oh, I've seen this litter of puppies on big paws and this is the kind of dog I want. And I showed him a picture and within half an hour I'd rung them, we are in the car on the way to Brisbane and there was two pups with a foster home and there was a girl and a boy and we were kind of leaning towards the girl and if we, if we kind of gelled with the dog and I walked in and I hadn't even touched her and I just said, yes, absolutely. Um, and then she came home with us that night. We had no food, no lead, no dog bed. We knew nothing, but we just took her home. So. That's exactly what happens when you come home with a child from the hospital as well. You've just got no <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yeah, just you just need that instruction manual of what do we do now. <laughs> I don't what know time? if we uh, did the right thing. We, we actually stopped halfway on the way home because she was a bit anxious in the car. She was only about 13 weeks. and um, I think we gave her like KFC nuggets or something, just trying to get her on side from day one. <laughs> It's another um, top parenting tip. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> what What does – I love that you guys went away and sat down um, to write down your lists of like pros and cons and about what you wanted in a dog. What What, what does that list look like? What were some of the things? Um, it can't be a small dog, kind of like a handbag dog we decided. Like we wanted something that was smart and trainable. We wanted mixed breed, um, not that you tend ah. to get purebreds anyway. Um, but we yep. want something that you'd look at and go, what is in her or what is it? What is in him? Um, I suppose, yeah, that were the main things, medium size, mixed breed, a bit of a working dog kind of breed um, and ideally female because I just didn't want the dog lifting its leg on everything in the house. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should right. the boxes, yeah. Why, why a mixed breed? Um, I think you can... They do tend to live longer. They tend to sometimes have less issues. For example, my um, our pup is part Rottweiler, um, part cattle dog, 
um, part kelpie and rottweilers are really prone to elbow dysplasia. Um, uh, cattle dogs are actually the dog most likely to bite a human um, and kelpies can be really neurotic. So you get, we've got this beautiful blend of all of those things and rather mm -hmm. than just one characteristic taking over. So Yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I like I like that approach. Hmm. Um, so here's something that I found. So Henry is Henry, Henry's like eleven any day, um, and what I found interesting was uh, early on training him up to be to become like a running partner, and it almost became like I was training myself. So it was like almost a periodization and, and doing um, small increments in training um, just because I I was really aware that I didn't want him to become injured because especially cattle dogs or working dogs will just keep going. And that's that's where we found an issue with him is that we had to really make sure that we didn't push him too too hard too early. Is Did you approach, approach it the same with Willow at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think partly because of my physio um, nerd brain, I treat a lot of um, endurance sports injuries and I've been on the receiving end of more than enough stress fractures. So I understand quite a bit about load management and particularly with our dog, with Willow having Roddy in her, I knew that if we did push her too much too soon, mm. um, she was going to be more at risk of the elbow dysplasia and um so yeah, I did start her off with like 500 meter run, 500 meter walk, and but unlike other cattle dogs and working dogs, I can tell very much when she's had enough and she just drags her ass. So uh, there's no yeah, chance right. of this dog overdoing it. She finds a shady spot and just lies down and looks at me like, "Go get the car, human." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she'd be a very good cattle dog, actually. <laughs> like if she's a, a house dog. Gotcha. Gosh, she's got so much personality and you can see it in the videos that you post. <laughs> when I post her crazies, lots oh, of the house. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, okay. So Meredith Hill, physiotherapist, professional triathlete. What came first in terms of what you wanted to do? Oh, hands down, physiotherapist. Um, I knew I'd get into something healthcare related um, as soon as I was in high school, it was going to be uh, veterinary science or medicine or speech therapy or physio. It was going to be one of those. So that was a no-brainer. And I actually didn't even get into triathlon until I was finished university and I was even working. Um, that's I didn't even know what a triathlon was, let alone do anything like that. So, yeah, I was certainly well underway being a physio before it even kind of came across my radar. Yeah, right. What was the overwhelming desire to do something in the health field, do you think? I'm not sure. I don't – yeah, I'm not – I don't really know. I know that whenever someone in the household or in the family, like, cut themselves, I was the first one to go and get the um, the first aid kit and there was, just, I suppose, something a little bit caregiving in my interest in nature that um, – led me to health sciences and particularly I think year 11 or year 12 my careers counsellor pulled in a meeting with my parents and and myself and just looked at career options and said look based on her subjects and her results um overwhelmingly she's she needs to be in like engineering and my dad was like yes because he's a civil engineer and my brother's a chemical oh. engineer and I was just like oh god no hell no like I'm not doing engineering I just knew I didn't want to do anything where I sat at a desk or or didn't get to deal with people so, physio. Right. 
Yeah, okay. So the, it was the people element that was a real push that into that direction. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know, I'm kind of a social person, so I'm pretty yeah. happy that in my current job, every half an hour I get to talk to someone new and meet interesting people who do interesting things. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I really like that. I don't think I could, I don't think I have the attention span to concentrate on one single task all day without the distraction. Yeah, right. I, so. I still don't fully understand what an engineer is. Um, yeah, I don't know either. I've got like <laughs> two in the family. <laughs> All I know is that my dad made sure that big water reservoirs didn't collapse and flood the city and my brother does something in terms of water treatment, like when big oil corporations leach oil and chemicals into the sand, he designs processes that retracts it back out somehow so it's all very smart that's about as the extent of what I know yeah I think it covers such a wide area or an array of topics and things doesn't it and yeah it's about oh, perfecting I mean, got, processes absolutely I yeah. yeah I mean you've got mechanical stream you've got um mm. yeah civil and chemical and I suppose you can go anywhere with it yeah so hmm. back to school where the counsellor had said that, you know, that's a direction that you can take based on your marks. I assume that means as a student you were a, you were quite a studious student. Ooh, yeah, I was a bit of a nerd. I think it was probably my subject selection. I knew that the the science subjects are what I needed to get into something health-related, but they're also um, scaled up, meaning if you didn't get a very good uh, result, it kind of got graded up based on the difficulty of the subject. So something like chemistry would get scaled up more than something like um, something more in the arts or drama. Um, so I kind of like safety net things so that like if I didn't do that well, at least it would get scaled up. So it was a little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Ah, okay. So there wasn't early on. There certainly wasn't something that said I'm I'm taking this path. Um, there wasn't, you know, a pivotal moment for you? Um, no, not really. It was going to very much depend on my grades as well and I probably wasn't expecting the marks to get um, straight into physio or medicine or veterinary science. So I kind of had a few fallback plans that didn't require such high marks and I was still very interested in it. And I probably would have been perfectly happy in the career of um, prosthetics or speech therapy, which I'd looked into. And then I had like another tier of like fallback plans of health sciences if I didn't get the marks for the speech therapy prosthetics kind of level. Um, so yeah. I didn't really hang my head on anything too much in case I was disappointed because I just had no idea how I was going to go at school. And yeah. then when I got my marks, I pretty much had the pick of anything except for veterinary science. Um, and that's where physio, I decided I, I definitely wanted to be a physio. I was, I was a little bit sporty at school. Um, so I yeah. did have some kind of vague idea that I might venture towards um, sports physio. So what, what kind of sports were you involved in? More team sports. I grew up playing tennis um, and netball quite competitively. And yep. at school, I just I did everything. I did athletics, and I wasn't. I was kind of jack of all trades, master of none. But I also um, saw it as kind of social, and I was pretty happy to give anything a go. Yeah. So, yeah. so I I grew up playing team sports as well. Actually, probably similar. Just playing everything I could get my hands or feet on, and but definitely team sports, which is why it always kind of surprised me that I ended up landing on what is technically, you know, an individual sport. Did you yeah. did you find that a little bit bizarre yourself? 
I suppose in a way, but then there weren't really any individual sports offered other than little athletics when I was growing up, which I didn't really get into. Um, I don't, I'd never heard of triathlon, and so there wasn't mm. it, sport I always associated with with team sports and teamwork. So it never yeah. even occurred to me that I could do such a, a self centered sport like triathlon. So not <laughs> until not until much later in life. <laughs> Uh, netball, let me guess what position. Um, oh, I don't think you're not super tall, but you could have been tall when you were younger. Goalkeeper. No, goal defence. Well, I suppose in like the 15 years I played, I played a bit of everything. Uh, um, yeah. So I was more centre wing and goal attack, I would say. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely not. I was probably goalkeeper would be the position I hated the most because you got to do the least amount of running around and every time yep. you let the ball uh, through and they got a goal, you just felt like a loser. So um, you just felt <laughs> like you'd let the whole team down. So I, I wasn't a big fan of, like, goalkeeper. Um, at least with goal defence, you had a little bit more of a chance of intervening and play further up the court, whereas you had this small little area as goalkeeper to defend, and if they got a goal, you had pretty much failed. So I didn't like that position, so I made sure I never went there. That's that's interesting because I guess that's similar, say, with soccer, is if it gets through the keeper, it's the keeper that, you know, let them score, but what about the rest of the team that let them get all the way down to the keeper? See, but no it always thinks about that. The, the poor keeper gets all the, gets all the blame. Yeah. Rather than That's all the other players up the field who might have made little mistakes, you know, I think they're getting a bad rap actually. Yeah, and like, I, feel like, I feel like this is a is this a, is something that's been churning within you for all these years, and you're just letting out now? No, <laughs> <laughs> I barely think about netball anymore. So no, thankfully, I, you know, it doesn't keep me up at night. What position did you play? Um, I, I Don't landed. Don't goalkeeper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems it keeps me up late at night. Um, no, I, I landed on goal defense in the end. Um, but I started in goal attack. Um, and I loved the, I loved the glory of, you know, same when I played soccer, I loved being the striker because I loved the glory of getting the goals. Um, yeah. but then I guess further on in my career if you want to call it that um I don't know I think I liked I yeah I just enjoyed goal defense in the end but I agree I hated goalkeeper I also hated goal shooter as well um I just didn't like being confined I yeah think that's I think that's, out quite well. that's the same yeah 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 and I was never fast enough for center um like I and was probably too tall for center you need to be like a little whippet who can like get in around people's knees and get into tight spaces quickly. I think you're just probably too tall, much more yeah. suited for like either end. Yeah. Did you watch? Do you watch any netball? It was the final last weekend. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I've let it go too, but I made sure because um, I think it's just important to try and support women's sport whenever you can. So I made sure I was watching the final, and it was awesome. And the Vixens, the Melbourne Vixens, won, which was brilliant and this is what victoria needed um yeah. but, Who but just playing? watching it um great question can't even remember now um okay. yeah because i don't i just don't follow it close enough other than obviously i know the vixens um well, losers clearly because they didn't win so exactly they don't do not stick in my head <laughs> at all who wants to know 
If you're not first, you're last. Um, yep. But it was it was just interesting watching the game because the the game is. I mean, I, I never played obviously to that level, but just watching how fast the game is, like it's just. It is flat out for those um, four. Is it still four quarters? I think it's four quarters. I think so. Um, but yeah, just watching. Like I just think it's interesting watching a sport evolve to what you know what I was used to back in the day, and I knew the sport so well. And clearly, I don't know it that well anymore. Um, but just watching a sport like that evolve when you think um, when you th- you think a sport is what it is, right? It's a mm. you know you throw a ball in a hoop and that's that's the sport but it has evolved and changed and tactics have changed and I just I find that that's that side of sport really quite interesting yeah I find the same with the AFL now like just the way teams Mm. approach the game and their strategies from an outside view sometimes with the AFL I think oh it looks so scrappy and there's so many little possessions and handballs and just kick the bloody ball down the field but it's all very well engineered and planned that way and obviously it the, whoever the coaches are and the st- strategists are have a very good idea what they're doing, but it's just so different from, say, 20 years ago when I followed AFL. Mm. Um, mm. But I suppose, yeah, it's evolved like netball has. Yeah, definitely. You, mm. So you, you grew up in Victoria or is just yeah. your parents? No, I grew up in Melbourne. I was there until oh, late 20s, early 30s, I think. Ah, so why the move to Queensland for you? Why not? Um, (laughs) uh, I think Tom, my partner, is he was a country boy and just never really loved the congestion and clutter of the city. And I kind of always felt that way as well. So he moved to the city to go to uni and start work. And um, I think at about 2006, 2007, when I just started doing triathlon, I did the Noosa try a couple of times and we'd come up and make a little holiday of it. And we'd sit on the beach in the days afterwards before we'd go back to Melbourne and just think, God, some lucky guys get to live here. Like we, I just thought yeah. it was heaven, like just beautiful climate, you know, all, all year round and it wasn't congested and um, I just thought one day I want to live here and uh, that one day came about, I don't know, eight, eight or nine years later when it kind of worked out with jobs and life and uh, we eventually made the move. But I think I always had known I just I was never really super happy in Melbourne. It's too cold, too windy, too dark, too busy. <laughs> For me, anyway. Some people love that and love the nightlife and the theatre and the sport, but I just would rather more space and the beach and not to be as cold. So here we are. Fair enough. Yeah. Has Boz been in your ear to try and get me to relocate? He hasn't mentioned it, actually. Really? Should we, should we be working on this? Do we need to talk to Breddy? Oh, mate, you, you can try to talk to Breddy. Breddy's probably the hardest person to budge from doing anything that he's been doing for the past, you know, 30, 40 years. So <laughs> it, it may be nearly impossible. But, uh, I mean, I can work anywhere. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And you'd, you'd have so much work up here because you, you could do podcasts in person. Oh, you could tell him your people. job needs it. <laughs> That's true. This is very – and he's like, awesome, let's move so you can talk more. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're talking to other people, though, so I'd probably give his ears a rest, so maybe it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, maybe you have to go in with that. That's yeah. your um, yeah, that's your pitch, I think. Or you could, in a couple of years, you could say, look, um, the dog's getting a bit arthritic and the cold weather's not helping. I think, um, I think for the dog's sake, we need to move to a more temperate climate. You could try that. <laughs> 
you are a master manipulator. That's like you've uh-huh. just nailed two. Yeah, you've just nailed <laughs> two very good reasons that I think could get him across the line. Yeah. Well, I don't you, know. You, I don't you know start working on that and let me know. Otherwise, I'll okay. come up with a third one if I need to. <laughs> Um, I want to ask, as a uh, as a pro triathlete, how much? And th- I guess this is vice versa as well. How much do you think your um, career as a physiotherapist helps you as a pro triathlete, and and, and vice versa? Um, I would say at the moment it's more of a hindrance for pro right. triathlon. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not my career is maybe how much I choose to work. So um, last year I had my first like decent break from work and for four months just concentrated on training. And Mm -hmm. I'd always been really resistant to giving up work and I would tell everyone it didn't have an impact on my training and my racing. And then last year I kind of figured out, yeah, maybe everybody else was right and I was wrong because my results were better. It's amazing what you can do with 30 hours a week of extra recovery, more training, less fatigue. So um, this year with COVID, I thought, well, I can't, races aren't guaranteed. I'm just going to go back to normal work. And I've really noticed the difference compared to last year, just the amount I can put into my training, how tired I am, the numbers I can hit. So, yeah, in that respect, I would say, being uh, having a, f- a full-time or part-time job is probably a hindrance to pro triathlon. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side of it, I think the knowledge I have from being a physio, I, I mean, I have had a few injuries and they're not always um, something that you can avoid as easily, but I pick them up very quickly and refer mm-hmm. myself off for an MRI and diagnose myself and go and get treated. Um, so that mm-hmm. side of things certainly helps. Um, and I think it also helps me as a physio to be a triathlete in that I have a good understanding of the sport. I see a lot of triathletes and I've come to understand triathlon-related injuries and pick them and rehab them probably a lot better because of my own experience in the sport. Yeah. Why why do you think the reluctance to, um, you know, I guess everyone's sort of saying that, yes, it is a hindrance um, working part-time or full-time with you being a professional triathlete. Why Why the reluctance for you, though? Why the reluctance to go all in on triathlon? Yeah. Um, I suppose part of it is a little bit of that imposter syndrome where I've always mm. just seen it as a glorified hobby. And right. although my results have kind of gotten better over the years, I've never known whether I've been whether – I suppose I knew I would improve if I put absolutely everything into it. But for me, was it worth the complete loss of income for a period of time um, until I, you know, started, you know, earning more money from triathlon? Um, mm-hmm. So certainly that side of things, I don't like the idea of uh, the financial side of it and leaning on Tom financially. Um, mm-hmm. And the other aspect is... I think I like I like the intellectual stimulation of work. I like I enjoy my job and the effect I have uh, with my patients. And certainly last year when I was in St Moritz for three months training, although I was loving triathlon, there was a part of my brain that was just itching, saying, you know, this is great, but it's not it's not enough for me. Um, so when I'd have anyone in the Hills District crew who was there, like have a, a 
a niggle or an injury I'm like yep come and see me you know physio come over I'm you know I was kind of itching to use my brain so I suppose it's something you get used to obviously there's some very very intelligent girls in triathlon who are 100% about triathlon I just haven't had much experience at it it'll be something I'd need to get used to is just focusing on that one thing so so you do think potentially at some stage you will want to go all in or you, you are happy yeah, no, I've decided I do. I probably want to give it 12 months. So I'm just starting to drop that in with my boss that um, <laughs> probably when the COVID stuff settled down and there's a little bit more certainty about races and um, yeah. and I can go overseas because for me, the triathlon in Australia is great. But what I really am in it for is the overseas adventures and mm-hmm. those, those bigger races, the more um, extreme races and beautiful races and like great locations. So when they're back on the calendar with a little bit more certainty, I think I'll have that conversation with my boss of see you later for 12 months. And um, I've certainly got Tom's support, so I'm probably an idiot for not having done it sooner. (laughs) I don't think you're an idiot. I think, I mean, there's obviously a lot to consider and as a, as a physio as well, it's not as simple as just saying, all right, I'm just going to shut the books for 12 months and then I'll walk straight back into, you know, having the same patients again in 12 months. Mm, like yes. those relationships that you've spent a lot of time and not just from a um, a business point of view, but I, I imagine there becomes these personal relationships as well over time. Like you build up oh, 100%. rapport with people. And yeah, that, yeah 100%. that doesn't just happen with a click of the fingers. Yeah. When I took four months off last year, I, I'm lucky enough, I'm in a clinic with um, some other physios who I trust. So I kind of divvied off my patients to who I thought would um, manage them the best. And look, most of those patients were resolved and discharged by the time I got back four months later. Um, yeah. So I pretty much did start from scratch again, but I have been in the area for quite a while and I'm kind of on side with a lot of the local doctors and referrers. So it probably only took me about a month to fill back up. So I'm quite lucky there. I think 12 months though would yeah. take a little bit more of a hit, but, you know, so it is. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way that you can maybe, I mean, I don't know, now I'm just thinking out loud, that you can almost stay relevant in that world from a distance, like, you know, over that 12 months. I don't know, like whether it be seminars or something that you could, I, I don't know. Now I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> I'm yeah, on well, my one track. of the perks of COVID actually has been um, firstly, um like government bodies and third-party insurers like WorkCover and, um, you know, your Alliance and your Suncorp and your RACQ, they're now funding telehealth sessions because a lot of people uh, weren't comfortable mm. coming into the clinic because of COVID. Um, mm. So telehealth is has certainly a lot more well-established now since COVID. Um, and I do a lot of P- a lot of the PD, like the professional development courses, are online mm. now. So I, I was certainly doing a lot of those while I was in St. Moritz just to keep my brain ticking over. So I think I could still say, you know, keep my mm. registration quite easily and I could probably practice a little bit online if I wanted to, but it's not quite the same kick as being, yeah. you know, face-to-face with someone, which is what I enjoy. Yeah. How out of all of the sports people that you've dealt with, and I'm not asking for names, um, who 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 do you think's like the, one of the the toughest ones to to work with in terms of doing as they're told? Oh, jeez, doing as they're told. Well, triathletes you know, are actually like, pretty rubbish at doing what they're told. They just <laughs> stretch. So, and I see predominantly triathletes, so that would definitely be up there, and. Yeah. Oh, I've got a uh, Olympic level skateboarder at the moment. 
And wow. uh, I told her on day one, I said, look, I haven't rehabbed a lot of skateboarders for this injury. So do you mind if I follow you on Instagram? Because she's a bit of a big deal in the skateboarding world. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And she's not oh. meant to be boarding. And then she comes in to see me. I'm like, have you been? She's like, good. I'm like, you're not meant to be on the board. I can see this stuff on Instagram. You know I follow you. <laughs> she's oh, like, oh God. that's right. I forget. So, um, yeah, I think because of her age, uh, maybe her age and maybe it's the sport, but, um, yeah, she yeah, she pretty much does what, uh, what she thinks she's ready to do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I might just have to unfollow her because, yeah, it hurts my brain too much to know what she actually does, which is probably what every other patient does, but exactly. I get to see it with her. So, yep. Do you find it frustrating? Um, you know, I've seen my fair share of physios and osteos in my time. Um, that you know, people, I, you know, the idea of the physio or the osteo or any kind of health carer is to rehab or what have you, and then get people back out there and up and running again, not to continually come back and have to see you week after week, month after month, type of thing. But in my opinion. There also needs to be a fair amount of um, work done, you know, once they leave, you know, you from your 30-minute appointment or whatever it is and mm. go home and they should be doing their stretching or their strengthening and conditioning and so forth. Is that, is that one of the most frustrating things as a health practitioner that there's only so much that you can do with the person? They have to take ownership of their own shit once they walk out the door as well. Is that like, Is there a real disconnect there? Um, I don't think, not so much with my patients because I pretty much spell out um, in the first <laughs> session like what I can do for you and then what you can do for you and these are the time frames. Right. And our clinic is actually quite expensive as well. So, you know, people don't want to keep coming back and I don't want to see the same person over and over because I don't feel like I'm doing my job. So I, yeah. I tend to see more people who are very motivated to get back to what they were doing and I'm the same when I've been injured I'm like I'll do anything like if you tell me to lick my shoe I'll lick my shoe I just want this better and I want to go back to riding my bike or whatever it is so I tend to gently handball people who I can tell aren't really on board with that but very few people are prepared to pay the kind of money it is to see us and then not do what we say it would just be kind of crazy interesting so that's a um that's a good little note on valuing your yeah. expertise. Yeah. yeah you're just going to get that buy-in a lot more when, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not the the cheapest of services. You kind of value it more, I think. Um, mm. so. Very good point. Yeah, when I'm injured, I go and find, like, the most expensive physio I can because then I'm even more motivated to, you know, <laughs> get the show on the road and uh, do what they say and get back to normal. I like it. There's definitely a lesson in that for myself as well in terms of valuing your time and expertise. Everyone can yeah. take something from that for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Um, travel. Let's talk. Let's let's get our travel on. Um, how are you going? Not being able to travel right now. Oh, it's tough. It's, yep. it's a bit tough. But, you know, had to close the door to the, the shelves of all the lonely planets and, you know, the oh. screensavers on the laptop with, that show like travel photos. I'm like, yeah, let's cut that as well for the moment. So yeah. it's, look, it's not that bad. We're pretty fortunate here. So um, in the scheme of what's important, um, you know, it'll, it'll be there in years to come when all this settles down, I hope. Yeah. And, I mean, and, it, and obviously it's all relative and... Yeah, I'm not trying to uh, lighten what's happening in the world right now. Um, but for me personally, and I think you and I were texting about it not that long ago, 
is I think out of all of this in terms of <clears throat> how I've lived my life in the last, well, decade for my work, it's the travel and the meeting the people across the globe is something that I'm, yeah, really, really thirsty for and I really miss it. And I didn't realise how much I would because whenever you're at the airport, you say, oh, I just I can't be bothered with this part of it. But it always ends yeah. up being brilliant the other end of it. And it's, it's always the stuff that you couldn't have planned or scheduled that turns out to be the best <gasps> like surprises. Like a big ass heavy bike through the streets of Munich drinking beer. And then what did we do? Like tubing down some river in freezing <laughs> cold water from like point A to point B with your GoPro. I remember that as well. That was good fun. Yeah, so we had been at Challenge Rot and it was all just kind of, oh yeah, we're all heading back to Munich because I had to fly out that night or the next day or whatever it was and you were staying there a couple of days so we all just hooked up there and we was uh, Sid you myself and the driver of this beer cart and she didn't think <laughs> oh no was it he or she I can't remember it was a she it was a she yeah so she didn't think that four girls could power uh this bike that carried beer and we're like oh we got this yeah. In in her defence, it's a massively heavy bike and she didn't know us from a bar of soap, nor should she. And I think yep. it usually takes about six people um, <laughs> to even, like, just to manpower this bike moving forward. This bike has, like, a massive keg of beer, so you just sit there and drink beer and you cycle and she steers and you just do a tour of Munich drinking beer. It's just it's brilliant. Um, but, yeah, she had, like, huge misgivings about whether... Laura Siddle, Steph and I were going to have the strength to power this bike and we were like, uh, honey, move over. Just watch us. <laughs> and it was awesome and I think we knocked off the keg of beer. No, did we, we ended up taking it with us because we didn't quite finish yeah. it. I think, I, think yeah. um, I don't know why we didn't hook in two huds. Everyone had some reason. I think I'd just done an Ironman. You had a flight maybe and Sid had something else. I can't remember why. So we didn't we didn't go too silly but we um, we certainly got our tour of Munich and. Yeah. <laughs> There's every chance I was hungover from the Roth after party, I imagine, <laughs> uh, which is why I was probably <laughs> struggling a bit. But, yeah. yeah, and then just this river in the middle of the city that you just sit in and it just pushes you, you know, just through the city. It's It was awesome. That. Hadn't, I think you heard about that and you'd read it maybe in the Lonely Planet or something and you're like, let's go and do this. And, okay, let's do it. And this is when I have to admit I fully fell in love with you because that's exactly how you responded. Was like, "Yep, I'm in." And you know, if I travel with Brett, I have to, you know, I have to really convince him to do stuff. Whereas I'm just, I'll have a crack at anything. I feel like that is you. You would just, you will have a go at anything. Is was what I was picking up from what you were telling me. Yeah, pretty much. I am always up for something new and an adventure, so I don't really need my hand like twisted behind my back to do anything. But sometimes that's actually that's actually not my probably my most redeeming feature. Sometimes it does get me in a bit of strife from time to time, but most of the time it ends up with a good story. And that's what it's all about. It's the story at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What do you reckon is one of the well, we can either say stupidest or one of the uh Oh, craziest. What's one of the craziest things you've done in your travels? Oh, craziest. Let me think. Um, one of the most potentially dangerous was I'd read in A Lonely Planet, it's a common theme, um, yeah. that there was a volcano in Guatemala 
that was still active and you could hike up to the crater and camp on the crater and then every 45 minutes this thing just blew its top with lava. And I was like, I want to do that. So didn't even think about the time of year that it would be safe to go or anything. Um, so we're in the city of Antigua, started asking around to travel um, agencies. You know, we want someone to take us to this volcano. Eventually someone said yes. It took a few to find, which would have should have been concerning. Anyway. Um, <laughs> red flag. So, yeah, red flag. So three of us got going with our, our young uh, tour guide named David or David. Um, and long story short, we're like clambering up this vertical side of the volcano totally wrong time of year because basically with it being the wet season all the ash that was kind of impacted on the side of volcano as you would climb would just slip away so you'd fall um it was the wet season so we got caught in the middle of a thunderstorm and then we finally got close to the top um i'm like well it was absolutely the whole place was just drenched and it was very unsafe and i was like well where do we camp he goes i don't know people never come up here this time of year it's too dangerous And we'd been, I think, nine and a half hours of hiking with 25 kilos on our backs each, caught in the middle of a thunderstorm, which is, you know, basically the top of a volcano is a magnet for um, an electrical storm. So we were hiding under boulders going, yeah, this probably wasn't the smartest move. There's a reason nobody comes up here um, this time of year. So I think this uh, young guy was forced by his bosses to take us up because we were so insistent. So... Oh no one God. died. No one got struck by lightning, but uh, it was a few, a few close calls. What, was this you and Tom or friends? Um, this was myself and Tom, and yeah. we'd met uh, another couple overseas travelling who we spent um, probably six, nine months travelling with. Um, Claire didn't want to go, um, but her husband Dave was keen. So Claire stayed back at the hotel and, uh, yeah, Dave came with us. So it was the three of us and the guide. Oh, my gosh. So you, you're – up the top and covering yourself with boulders. Yep. So did you did you stay the night or did you just get the yeah. hell out of there as soon as you could? You stayed the no, night. No, we'd gone, we'd gone too far and um, it was starting to get dark. So we had – and we'd been hiking about nine hours, so we had no chance of getting back in time. Um, yeah. And the descent was so dangerous anyway, there's no way we could do it at night. So we pitched a tent, everything got wet, but it was pretty spectacular actually because pretty much on the hour – um, this volcano just went off. Um, it sounded like a 747 landing next to your tent every 45 minutes. And I barely slept. I just kept getting up and watching this lava rolling down the side of the hill and um, pinching myself. So it was a very cool experience, but um, I wouldn't recommend it to many people. <laughs> or pick your time of year, that's for sure. It was it was pretty hairy. Far out. But now you just look at it and go, that's just a cool story. Oh, it's a very cool story. Tom, Dave and I will reminisce about about it sometimes but we're also um uh, yeah we we know we got away with <laughs> without potentially being you know quite badly injured or so. killed yes pretty much yeah 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 yep. yep. we lived in hell and hell. what did david's wife wife or girlfriend say when you eventually got back and told her oh, she, uh she kind of learned like got to know tom and i at that stage and she was just very, <laughs> she kind of rolled her eyes and was just like patting herself on the back for not going <laughs> she wow. would have hated it far out god i yeah. love stupid shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll send you a photo sometime of the top of the volcano blowing its top it's pretty cool oh. do, 
Yeah. Oh, man, that would be so awesome. I See, I think of things like that and I immediately go to, yep, I, like I, I would be there with you doing it and I know Brett would have stayed back at the hotel and that's fine, whatever. Yep. Yep. But then I'm like, I, you know, that's one of the reasons I want to, I want to improve my f- photography because I think of things like that and go, imagine if I had got that on camera and I just, like it's such a skill. But then I think about what you've just told me and I'm like, I'm not sure a photo or a video could ever do it justice no and it's not really what you're thinking about sometimes like when we were scrambling Mm. up the side of the volcano (laughs) and it was breaking away under our hands and it's like a sheer drop like no no safety harness no ropes or anything and yeah you can barely hold on to the side of the volcano let alone reach for your camera and take a selfie so there's a lot of areas where we didn't get we didn't get any footage we were just you know praying (laughs) that we weren't gonna die Oh, my gosh. Uh, that puts to shame um, when Brett and I walked down um, from a chairlift because he refused. I met, He came up in a chairlift and he mm-hmm. was so nervous that he, he would not get back in a chairlift because he doesn't like heights. So we yeah. had to walk, scramble back down, um, and that was harrowing enough for him. And I'm like, well, let me bring in Meredith Hill. This is what <laughs> could have been doing, you know. Come on. <laughs> Easy, what I made you do. Um, so, okay, so speaking of a little bit crazy, Norsemen, there's, oh, yeah. there's not many people on this planet who have had the opportunity to race at the Norsemen try. What, and I mean, obviously the craziness of it is what attracted you to it from the sounds of things. Yes, but what, what Yeah. <laughs> what... What was the overwhelming? Um, what's the overwhelming memory of that event? Uh, I would say probably absolute fear, just getting onto the ferry at four o'clock in the morning in the cold, in the dark, and just knowing you had the whole day ahead of you. Right. And not knowing how it's going to go, it's not like your standard Ironman where you know where there's aid stations and um, it's a point A to point B course. It's fully self-supported. The you know the weather changes and the conditions were were somewhat unknown. So I suppose um, yeah, I was pre- I was pretty fearful at the start. I go and do a lot of crazy stuff, but um, it's not that I don't feel fear. I, I was I was pretty terrified <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And that's actually, I, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, in terms of um, anything that gets my adrenaline going, it, it's not that I go and do a roller coaster or jump out of planes or do anything stupid and just it means nothing. I like the that feeling of fear. Like it, that's a really weird thing to say, but it's it's part of it, right? It is. And then when you come out the other side, you always realise it was never as bad as you thought it was going to be and you were more capable than you expected. And then I think mm. you raise the bar for yourself for the next event. And I suppose yeah. that's probably what the most, that's what I've got out of Norseman is just not to overthink things and not to limit where I think I can be. Um, yep. Because I never, I, I, I thought there's a pretty solid chance I'm just going to get hypothermia and want to pull out. Um, that I've just, you know, people said to me, you're too skinny, you won't handle the cold and you live yeah, on the right. Sunshine Coast, how can, there's no hills, how can you train for a race with 4,000 metres of climbing when essentially you live somewhere flat with a great climate? Um, so even with all that and then 
finishing it and doing okay, then I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, just raised the bar for the next thing I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What was it like? Um, so getting on the ferry, obviously, that's when the nerves are building. But, mm-hmm. you know, the images that I've seen, it's it look, it almost looks like the photo of the boat where does does the back of the boat lift like lift up almost and you all sort of drop out like lemmings? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's a car ferry. So they oh, okay. Yeah, you get when you get onto the boat in Eidfjord, um, you just get on the normal way. Um, where humans get on and then from memory and then at the when they take you right out into the middle of the fjord they kind of lower the back down and then they just say you can jump in the water whenever you're ready um, you kind of know it's going to be about 10 minutes before the start of the race you just got to jump in and swim across maybe 50 meters or two oh. between two marker buoys so some yep. people want to get in and get their position really early and then other people are a bit concerned about getting cold so they leave it a little while and and jump in a bit later and some people are afraid of heights so they don't want to jump and they you know they dilly dally and then go and get down the ladder because there is a ladder that they never tell you about for those who really don't want to do the jump because it is a bit of a jump so like how high I would say four metres, five metres as a guess. Okay. It's kind of dark, so you can't really tell. You just close your eyes and jump. Oh, see, that makes my heart go a little bit now just thinking about it. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, you just got to not think too much in that event. Yeah, yep. Mm. I just, um, yeah, sorry, keep going. No, I was going to say, just before you get in, they um, they have all these really high-pressure hoses to, I suppose, cool, to c- cool yourself down a little bit because once you're in your wetsuit, you're kind of toasty warm and then it's a big shock jumping into an 11-degree fjord or 12 or whatever it was when I did it. So they have these, like, um, fire extinguisher-type hoses and they just spray them and you can go and stand under those and cool down a little bit or cold down and then before you jump in the water so there's not that big discrepancy between your body temperature and the water so oh, that's smart yeah right um do you think you would do something like that again oh absolutely i was actually on the list to do keltman which is the scottish extreme triathlon in 2018 i think or 2019 2018 and i ended up with a stress fracture and i had to pull out so um yeah, I'd love to do um, Patagon Man in Patagonia and I'd love to go back and do Keltman. Yeah, okay. So if you could only do one one more, one more triathlon, one more extreme triathlon, let's call it that, what one would it be? Keltman. Right. Yeah, def- definitely Keltman. I'd love to go to Scotland and the swim, I know probably it's not everyone's cup of tea, but apparently there is just thousands of jellyfish in the water, which just kind of adds to the adds to the fear factor a little bit. The weather is meant to be abysmal. Um, doesn't get over like three or four degrees. It rains for 90%. It's about 190K on the bike. And the run is actually a trail run with like you've got to self-navigate. So there's a, it's actually not a marked path. So it involves a little bit of um, navigating as well to get the best line up and over a couple of mountains. So, um, yeah, definitely Kelvin. But I can hear I can hear you grinning about how ridiculous yeah. I can hear it in your voice. You're just smiling like an idiot talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to do it. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope everyone needs to hurry up and piss off so I can get back to some of those races. 
And the best part, there's no money. So, you know, it's even more absurd when you're a professional triathlete and you're itching to go and spend a fortune on a race that doesn't pay anything just for the pure absurdity of the race. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're a full-blown idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steph. You're welcome. <laughs> Said with love. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have to start wrapping things up so I've got two questions that I want to ask you um at the very end of this are you ready I'm ready (laughs) are you are you Norseman jump off a boat ready oh that wasn't ready in the slightest (laughs) I'm I'm more ready than that far away (laughs) <laughs> no, it's nothing tricky. Um, what what do you do in those moments when you've got a few minutes to wait? So so f- and the reason I was thinking about this is because as I was, it was about five to three just before we were about to well five to two where you are five to three where mm-hmm. I am before we hit record before I saw you, and I was ready to go. I was early, and so and then I started just scrolling through Instagram, um, and I'll tell you what I looked up later later on. Um, but I was interested, what do you do in those those rare moments when you've got a few minutes spare and you've got nothing else to do while you're waiting? Um, I would definitely say I'm an Instagrammer. I'm a notorious scroller, so that would be one. Otherwise, I would go to my to-do list on my phone and oh. reorder and reprioritise and see what I need to do next, which is a bit of a, a bad habit of mine. So the to-do list or Instagram. You are a big geek, aren't you? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> you like spreadsheets? Sorry? You like spreadsheets? No, actually, I'm not really a spreadsheet kind of person. Ah, interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Why would you say it was a bad habit? I think like that's probably a good habit to go through your to-do list and reorganise. Oh, sometimes the process of always ha- focusing on what you have to do um, uh, can take over a little bit, and I'm in that habit, I think, because I – probably pack too much into my days sometimes between training and work and house stuff. So I tend to miss some of the, miss being present and um, just enjoying some of the simple things because I'm constantly like, what can I tick off? What do I have to do? And you just, yeah, it's probably, you got to learn to turn off. I need to learn to turn off a little bit more. So that's why I say it's probably a bad habit. Just need to be more present and give more puppy pets. (laughs) I get it. I absolutely understand what you're saying. Um, yep. What I was looking at before we before you jumped online was Dr. Pimple Popper on Instagram. Oh, that's disgusting, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing and it's something I'm not even going to go and look up. <laughs> Everyone out there who is listening who knows of Dr. Pimple Popper knows exactly what I'm talking about. So and is this an Instagram page, is it? Yeah, and she's like a like some kind of skin doctor, whatever you, you would know what they're called. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, yeah, she's become famous. Yep, one of those ones. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, <sighs> she's famous and she – it's insane. It is insane. But there's something that is addicted, addictive about watching her do her work. I don't know what it is. It's disgusting. But, anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, if if you're ever in a situation where you are actually – exposed to uh boils like that that need to be lancing like massive pimples and the smell associated from when i used to work in hospital setting it would put put you off your doctor pimple popper i would say so maybe that's why i'm uh, 
I've had a little bit too much to do with hospitals and healthcare and wounds. Um, I try and like steer clear of the wounds, but I'm glad that you get some interesting uh, bit of a kick out of it. Uh, I love that you tried to um, justify it for me for liking it. And you're like, yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time. It's disgusting and I shouldn't like looking at it. I'm gross. <laughs> Maybe because okay. you can't link it with the smell. Yeah. Smells mm. strong, isn't it? Smells a very strong sense. Um, yeah, a very potent recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, last question. When you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to mind and why? Oh, geez. Good question, hey. I stole it. It is a good question. Okay. Um, I suppose one of the first people who came to mind was um, my friend Beth McKenzie um, in that she has her fingers in quite a lot of honey pots and she is doing really well at all of them. And I, I do admire people who manage to balance their life. And I think she does an excellent job at that. I certainly look up to her, um, you know, as an athlete and as a friend with that. So yeah, I love what she's doing with her clothing brands. Um, you know, her family life, she's had a great triathlon career. She, before that she was a psychologist. So I consider someone like Beth, um, very successful so perhaps because i'm in noosa someone noosa related came to mind no i like that and that's that's the whole point of that question is uh, when someone asked me that question the first person who came to mind was one of my best mates and i i would if i had have actually put a lot of thought into it i, I wouldn't have you know lent towards him but i guess just what was happening at that moment in time and he'd started his own business and he was happy like you know happy family life and everything and i was like that mm. I guess it, it helps you decipher what success means to you. Um, Absolutely. When you, yeah, when you think about it like that. Um, hmm. So that's a fantastic answer. Yeah. And and you should tell her. Well, I, I will tell her to listen to this podcast if she'd like to hear my answer. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. So Sorry to wrap it up, but thank you so much uh, for joining me. Sorry for the tech issues at the start of this, but I feel like that's just the world we live in right now. Yeah, that pretty much is. No, thank you for having me. This was fun. Excellent. What, were you expecting anything else? No, I knew we'd have a good laugh. <laughs> no, no, I had high hopes. Excellent. Well, once borders open, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you guys again soon. But until then, I guess I'll just see you uh, over the interwebs and scrolling on Instagram and so forth. You'll see my you'll see my puppy pretty much on Instagram. That's pretty much my, a lot of my Instagram content these days is the dog. So, uh, yeah, it should be. I can see Henry and you can see Willow. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much, and we will catch up again soon. Okay, great. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-deep in awesomeness. (laughs) 